This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. I remember being as young as two years old and going into my parents' room and just hugging them and sobbing. And they would be like, what, what's wrong? And I would say, I'm going to be so sad when you die, as though I was predicting something. Um, <laughs> like I was one of those weird kids from a horror movie. <laughs> Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg. During the past few months, as we all know, we have been constantly reminded of our own mortality. It, it happens when we leave the house or put on a mask or just read the news. And many of us, unfortunately, have experienced loss in our own lives. So what do you do when the fear of dying feels inescapable? How, how do you live your life without always worrying about the end? Our listener this week needs to know the answer. Like, would you say you think about death every day? Every second of every day, almost. This is Katie from Chicago. She's a successful comedy writer for TV shows. And although she spends her days writing jokes, her problem is real and serious. Basically, when I'm with people, I think about when they're going to die, um, when I'm having fun. It always turns into, oh, this is going to be sad when these people are no longer here. Uh, when I hug my dog, I'm always like, oh, this is going to be so sad eventually when she's gone. When you sort of psychoanalyze yourself, do you have any theories about like why this seems such a preoccupation for you? So my parents had me when they were in their late 40s, and we have a big family, and I think I had this sense of there's a party that's winding down, and I just got there. Katie's in her 30s now, and she lives with her husband. I don't have children, and every day I'm just like, I hope I die first, because I know there is a chance that he could pass away, and I won't have him around anymore. And yeah. I don't want to live that way because now it's starting to interfere with actual life. It's not just a, a preoccupation. It's becoming kind of an obsession. And this obsession affects how she lives day to day. I've always been a very fearful person as far as taking physical risks. Um, you're not like you were never going to see me bungee jumping. But it's starting to lead to really intense bouts of, of depression it's simply hard to get out of bed because it seems like the future is just going to be a sea of grief. And yeah. there's absolutely nothing I can do about that. On today's show, how to face your fear of dying. We'll hear from a psychologist who's worked with patients suffering from anxieties about death and who has some unusual ideas about how to confront it, starting with climbing into body bags. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. 
The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Kitty, let me ask, have you had anyone close to you die? Yeah, my mother died uh, about four years ago. It was kind of sudden, um, but she was older, um, so it wasn't a huge shock. And that sort of intensified this issue that I'd been dealing with for a long time. I remember when we went to the hospital and I knew she was going to die, I thought to myself, oh, it's starting, just meaning like, all the people that I love, they're starting to leave. I was grieving not only the loss of her, but also beginning to grieve the loss of the life that I had with these people. Yeah. My father passed away about two years ago. And, and I'm he, so sorry. Similarly, he was, he, he was 45 when I was born, and so he was... <gasps> oh, um, wow! Yeah, and so he was 89 when, <gasps> when he died. And it is. It's it's hard, right? Because you know that it's coming. Yeah. Did you feel that way growing up? Like, did you feel like because your parents were older, death was something that seemed more realistic? Yeah, I was always so jealous of kids whose mom and dad seemed impossibly young. And I was just like, oh, I've got these old fogies at home. And I think that's another thing that, that I've been dealing with lately is I have such envy towards people who still have a lot of good years left with their parents. Yeah. Like how, how have you tried to deal with this? Like, have you, have you talked to therapists about it? Yes. So it actually got to the point where I was seeing this therapist and she was located in Hong Kong. And so I would have to either have therapy at six in the morning or at like 1030 at night. And I did this for so long and it just, it didn't help. Right. So no, nothing has helped. <laughs> okay. Well, since, since you were um, talking to someone in Hong Kong, we yes. decided to go and reach out to someone like even farther away from you in Australia. Oh my gosh. Rachel Menzies is a psychologist and researcher at the University of Sydney, and she specializes in studying and helping people with death anxiety. I've seen some people who were so anxious about death that they can't even say the word. I mean, one case that we've written about in one of our books was a woman who was so terrified that she might suddenly overnight develop a new allergy to a food, an allergy she'd never had before, that every single meal she ate, she would eat in a hospital emergency department. She would drive to hospital, sit there, eat her sandwich, wait to see if she developed any kind of allergy symptoms, and then return home. Rachel, how did you get interested in this? Because you've written a book about this topic, you've researched it. I think it was something I was always curious about. I was always interested in, you know, 
ancient history burial rituals and mummification and all that sort of stuff. And I think as I got older, I was just really curious about how a lot of people don't want to talk about death. And I found that really sort of strange that it's, you know, one of the few guarantees in life, but it's something that people didn't really want to talk about. And is it common? Like, we all sort of don't want the people we love to die, but when it becomes something that intrudes on us being able to enjoy our lives, the way like Katie's describing, is is that uncommon or is that something that happens actually pretty frequently? I'd say it's something that happens probably more frequently than we'd imagine. I think the things that people tend to worry about with mental health conditions are dying, you know, whether you're scared of heights, you know, that's clearly linked to dying, scared of spiders. But then I also think it's such a universal human problem that it's something yeah. that all of us have to grapple with across our life. So how do we help Katie? Like, what's the first thing that you would do with her to help her resolve this? Come on, Rachel. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> You're all I got. <laughs> I mean, I think the first thing is recognizing that this is a really normal fear. This fear is something that has kept our species alive for thousands and thousands of years, that if we weren't so fearful of death as a species, we wouldn't have lasted very long. <laughs> the second thing I would want to start thinking about is, Katie, when you get these thoughts, so when you have an image, say, of losing someone that you love, what, mm-hmm. what do you do? How do you react to the thought? Well, it's actually sort of developed into kind of compulsive behavior. I have to knock on wood a few times. And then this is so embarrassing because it's all so cliche. But I also have to make the sign of the cross a few times mm. as a as a cool Italian Catholic over here. Um, and I have to do it until I feel better. Mm-hmm. And if it's really bad, I'll try to like hit it out of my head, like physically hit it out of my head. Mm-hmm. So there's all these behaviors that you're doing to try and push the thought away, essentially, whether that's physically hitting your head or doing the sign of the cross stuff that kind of removes some of that anxiety about the thought. Is that right? Yeah. And it does remove it for like three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works. <laughs> yeah. It works for those three seconds. <laughs> yeah. So I have three seconds of happiness. <laughs> and I think that's really common that because the thought is so distressing, we're going to do whatever yeah. we can do to try and push it away. But what we know about anxiety in general and also death, fears of death specifically, is that we want to start facing the thoughts and start kind of cultivating an acceptance of death. So Katie, do you find yourself avoiding reminders of death? So sometimes people might, for example, change the channel if something about, you know, a car crash or or COVID or something comes on. Yeah, I I have so many superstitions, you know, where I'll tell people, please don't talk about that. You can't say that. I don't Mm. want to watch this. I think that's it's a, such a human tendency to want to do. If something makes me terrified, I'm not going to want to talk about that thing. But that keeps the anxiety going. So one of the one of the tips I'd be giving is saying to try and actually fight that urge to avoid it and to try and start having these conversations about death with people or watching the TV show where death is coming up and being able to come to that acceptance of it, which takes time and is really difficult, but that's the really crucial step in starting to overcome this fear. This is our first rule. Don't just push away thoughts of death or or anything else that makes you anxious. By trying to ignore those worries, you, you actually give them more power. 
because repressing a feeling often only makes it scarier. The answer instead is to move towards what makes us anxious, to drag it into the light of day. How do we actually do that? Like, particularly in the moment, if Katie's in the writer's room and she doesn't want to turn it into a to a, a psychology session you know, with, with her co-workers, what can she do in that moment to basically say, like, look, I want to move towards this anxiety so I can get beyond it? I've definitely looked around a meeting and been like, I wonder if these people will come to my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, in the moment, in that sort of situation, it might just be noticing that thought and instead of trying to push it away just sort of saying okay there's that eulogy thought again that's an interesting thought isn't my mind telling me a funny story today I'm going to bring my attention back to the room and back to work and I'll deal with this thought later Um, when you have more space and time it would really be about trying to face the stuff we would usually avoid so that might actually be things like writing your own eulogy or talk about what what songs you'd like at your funeral or who would you like at your funeral which oh, sounds, sounds like awful it sounds awful and that's people's immediate reaction and I can almost see you Ugh. um you, should, you don't want to see my face <laughs> oh. and that tells me that that's the area that needs some attention and work I wonder if it's something like I should keep a little death diary and every time I have a horrible thought just write it down and come back to it I think that's a great idea because it's it's not pushing the thought away. It's sort of acknowledging, right. okay, this thought is here at the moment, but I don't have the time to deal with it right now, so I'm going to write it down and come back to it later. Um, all of the research tells us that exposing ourselves to any kind of thing that we fear, whether that's dogs or spiders or, in this case, death, which is a, sort of a trickier one to expose yourself to, that that is the most effective way at reducing the fear. But how do you expose yourself to death? Stick around to find out. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. We're back with our listener Katie and our expert Rachel Menzies. And Rachel has an unusual approach when it comes to exposure therapy for people who are anxious about death. 
I was at a, um, a festival, really fun festival called the Festival of Death and Dying in Sydney a few <laughs> years ago. And as part of that festival, there was a, a woman there who worked in the funeral industry. And so she had a coffin and a body bag and a cooling bed. Oh. Um, and she had people queuing up to lie in them. And so I lay in the coffin and expected some anxiety, but once they put the lid on the coffin, oh. it was actually this strange feeling of peace. I remember thinking to myself, oh, this isn't so bad. I could live with this, so to speak. Rachel was so inspired by this experience that she began doing a series of workshops to train other psychologists. And we really wanted to lug a coffin around the country, but we figured practically that wasn't <laughs> ideal. So we got a, a body bag that's used to store and transport bodies when people die. And we folded oh. that up in, in the suitcase and basically carried that around the country and had these psychologists lining up in the morning tea break to, to lie in the body bag. And I think most people had a similar experience to me where they were kind of uncomfortable about it. But once they did it, they had this feeling of, okay, this is this is tolerable. What if I want to be cremated? Yeah, can't put you in an urn, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's a harder one. <laughs> but how would you translate an experience like that into the fear of those around you dying? I think in that case, you'd be wanting to try and imagine almost doing some more exposure kind of internally in your head. So imagining oh. coping with that person's death, picturing yourself at their funeral, picturing yourself giving the eulogy or sitting down with the person and talking to them about, would you rather be cremated or buried? What songs would you like at your funeral? Katie, have you ever had that conversation with your dad? Yeah, I mean, we we didn't have a huge conversation, but it was when my mom died and, and we kind of figured it out. But there's a part of me that's also... Like, why are we talking about this? You're here. I think I'm hung up on that idea of the antidote to death is life and how we put so much into death mm. when there's there's simply nothing to be done about it. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But if I'm choosing to deliberately reflect on this, I think it actually deepens your appreciation of life. If I'm spending time with my partner and I'm thinking he could be taken out of my life at any moment. But isn't it such a, a fluke, a one in a million, that he was ever born in the first place or that I was ever born in the first place? Statistically, the chances were so low, one in a million, not even. Doesn't that make this moment so much more precious and so much more worth appreciating and being really present in? So sort of being intentional with that thought and also associating it with a sense of marvel as opposed to a sense of dread. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great way of putting it. You use that party example earlier on in the conversation, but instead of thinking, isn't it devastating? I have to leave this party or the party's going to go on without me. I'd be trying to encourage us to think about, isn't it great? I got invited to this party in the first place. A million people <laughs> could have had this golden ticket to the party, but they didn't get it. I got it. And can I appreciate the three hours I spend at the party instead of spending that time being filled with dread and disappointment that that party is going to end at one point? Here's our next rule. When thoughts about death pop into your head, it's really helpful to get into a habit of using them to transition to another idea, a sense of wonder that you're even here in the first place and that the people you love are here with you. 
This is a practice known as existential therapy, and one of the founding researchers of death anxiety, Irvin Yalom, says anyone can develop this habit if they just nudge themselves a little bit. The idea behind it is to think to yourself, the universe has existed for so long, and the odds of all of us being together at this one tiny moment are so small. But here we are, and we can teach ourselves to marvel at that. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense to me, but I'm wondering, like, how do we get in the habit of thinking that way? What do we do when, when that sort of obsessive thought interrupts, that, like, oh my God, everyone might die? The first thing would be when you notice that thought to try and actually sit with it a bit. There's this social movement called Death Cafe where you have a group of people, usually strangers, meeting at a cafe and just talking about death in this really non-judgmental, open setting. Um, or death over dinner where people will host a dinner and sit around with friends or family and, and try to talk about some of these things. And it can be really empowering, I think, to feel like I'm taking some of this control back. Anxiety doesn't have to control me. Essentially what I heard you say is that we have this fear because it keeps us alive, right? So this is wired way deep down in our lizard brains. I'm wondering if maybe being more intentional about it will then spill over into that part of our psyche and hopefully control it in a way. Yeah, I think that's right. I think those thoughts might still come up, but it changes our reaction to them. If I've spent the day deliberately reflecting on this thing and trying to come to terms with it, when that anxious voice pops up saying, this is horrible, you're going to lose everyone, what's the point of all of this? I'm able to dismiss that voice a bit more and sort of think, that voice doesn't need to dictate my day. Hmm. Kitty, let me ask, when you think about how you used to feel anxious about your mom Mm -hmm. dying versus when she actually did die. Mm -hmm. How did, how did those thoughts that you had before it happened, how did they line up with reality? Um, I could never have anticipated the level of overwhelming sadness that, uh, flooded every ounce of my body. But I will say the one thing that I didn't anticipate was how many people came out to support me and how I did not feel as though I was going through it alone. But it does also remind me that this loneliness will get deeper and will get bigger as as life goes on. I think one of the things that Katie's touching on is there's a part of this question that there is no like easy solution to, which is which is that no matter what we imagine or how we try and like channel our thoughts, when people die, they are gone. How do we frame that in a way that that we can keep on going? Yeah, it's it's difficult. But I guess it's realizing that, you know, to love someone so deeply, this is going to be a consequence of that at some point. But I think it's this lifelong process of coming to terms with with loss. And if we can almost start that process before we've lost the person, 
it sets us up, I think, for being able to deal with it in a more effective way. And I think it's trying to remind ourselves that we can get through this, realizing that it makes sense for you to be upset, but also that that sadness is not always going to be there so intensely, that it usually gets easier over the years and that usually it ends up being something people kind of carry with them rather than something that feels like it's on top of them, something that's completely destroyed their life. And part of this process of learning to deal with grief is talking about death with the people who are around us. Do you talk about this, like, with your husband? I don't think he knows to the extent that it... I don't think he knows to the extent that it affects my life, no. Um, I mean, Rachel's saying that this is so normal, it feels very nice, um, because I think there's a part of me that thinks this is the cuckoo bananas part of my brain and and i i don't really want to admit that to him yeah um i also don't know if you want to tell someone i think about your death a lot um it's sort of an odd thing to say over dinner um so so katie let me ask you to do something a little weird it sounds like you mentioned that sometimes you'll be sitting in the writer's room and you'll you'll think about your own funeral and, and you'll shy away from that thought. But like let's try and let's try and imagine it. Like for your funeral, what kind of music do you want to play? Oh boy. Uh I hate this. Um <laughs> uh, oh boy, I hate this. Um I would probably like to have some some Frank Sinatra there and uh, uh, maybe fish. I know that's probably an odd one to say. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and and what about the eulogy? Let's say one of, one of your siblings. Well, but okay, see, so that's the thing. Which... No one will be there. <laughs> that's that's my I... problem. Everyone will be dead. Well, I... So, so your husband, your husband will be there, right? Uh, I mean, men die before women, but uh, let's say he'll let's, be, let's he'll be. say let, let's say you've chosen a good one, <laughs> and and he, he he survives you, and he gets up. What do you hope he'll say? I hope he'll say that I made such a horribly cruel world a little bit easier to deal with. I hope he'll say that I left things a little bit better than they were when I came upon them. Um, And I'll hope he'll say that he's happy that he picked me. I think he would say that. If he said, if he was, if this was happening tomorrow, isn't that what he would say? Oh. I mean, I guess I could write something for him and, and leave it somewhere. And <laughs> <laughs> that way he doesn't have to worry and I'll know exactly what he said. <laughs> I think he would want to run it by me first. I love the eulogy that you just said. I think it's so beautiful. 
And it says so much about your values and the kind of impact you want to have on the world, but also it sounds like the kind of impact that you are having. You know, I can see why this feels like a really terrifying thing to do or a difficult conversation to have, but I wouldn't be surprised if this opens up this whole new topic of conversation and this whole new way of connecting with him and that that conversation might be one that's easier to, to sit with and manage than it feels like it would be right now. And this is our final rule. If thinking about other people's death makes you anxious, write down what you'd say at their funerals and then share it with them. Imagine what you'd want other people to say about you at your funeral. Sometimes focusing on death this way can help strengthen our appreciation for life. Before we ended our conversation, Katie, who who writes for television, said she sometimes thinks of a scene from an old TV show, Six Feet Under, which is about a family-owned funeral home. You're not even grateful, are you? And I know it seems like that would be something that I wouldn't be able to watch, but I thought it was absolutely beautiful. And there's the quote from the father, you know, the father sort of haunts them in a way, where he said, you're alive, you can do anything. What am I supposed to do? What do you think? You can do anything, you lucky bastard, you're alive. What's a little pain compared to that? can't be so simple. What if it is? And while that's not a terribly profound thing to say, I think it's the most profound thing you can say. Thank you to Katie for sharing her story with us and to Rachel Menzies for all of her fantastic advice. Be sure to look for her book, Tales from the Valley of Death, Reflections from Psychotherapy on the Fear of Death. Do you have something that you're struggling with? If so, you should send us a note at howtoitslate.com or you can always leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend to listen to the show, which lets us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen and Rosemary Belson produce the show, and Merritt Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is senior managing producer, and Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director of audio. Special thanks to Kevin Bendis. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening.